fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies. Now, this is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology, and we make it a reality. We are the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn, with me, the physics phenom, Dr. Michael Denon. Hey, Dan, great to be here. I know you might disagree with this. I mean, I know we mostly agree, but occasionally we disagree. But I'm Mm -hmm. excited that this episode has been based on my college entrance exam. I'm not exam, sorry, essay. (laughs) My college entrance essay that I wrote way back in the, you know, late 70s, early 80s. I mean, there's no one more qualified than you, Denon, which is why I get excited about this. Uh, well, there might be one person more qualified, and that's a man <laughs> who has sent something into space uh, and besides his imagination, and that is our enigmatic engineer, Ben Siebser. Ben, where are you broadcasting from this week? Dan, as you know, I've been settling into my new lab here, and while I'm loving the space life, it has gotten me thinking about our closest neighbors up here, and I'm considering a research excursion to somewhere a little more exotic. But despite all the brains around me, I haven't quite made up my mind. (laughs) Well, hopefully by the end of this conversation, Ben, we're going to get you off that space station and and right around the solar system. Because we're going to look at what's going on. Where where can human beings expand uh, throughout our universe? And I think that... You know, this kind of came to me as the, ever since the space race, 1957, uh, you know, we call it the space age. But for some weird reason, we find ourselves landlocked on our planet more often than not. Very few of us have actually made it in to the vast emptiness of space and much even fewer have landed on the surface of another planet or, or celestial object. But I feel like that's going to change. The, the, mm-hmm. the tide seems to be moving in a completely different direction recently, and I don't know if that's because of our impending doom through climate change or if it's just itchy feet like people had, <laughs> you know, in the 14 and 1500s. So who knows? We're going to get to the bottom of this. I think for, for this conversation, guys, I want to know, you know, I want to take just two things, probably the best real estate options in our solar system, Mars and the moon, and figure out which is better. Now, of course... Better is going to be up to you. It's a subjective term. But we're going to try to get mm-hmm. to the to the bottom of that. But one thing before we do, before I talk to you, Denon, because obviously you're the most qualified uh, given your college entrance exam, <laughs> we have to have just one caveat here. To even have this conversation, we have to assume that the moon landing was not faked and was in fact real so that this is within our capabilities as a human species. Oh, I can accept that, Dan. I think okay, that's perfect. a good caveat. I'm, I'm with you on that. <laughs> All right. So then, so then, give me. Let's go to Mars first, Denon. Give me top three reasons why you think Mars is a great place to go. Well, for me, it really all starts with um, Total Recall and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, Mm -hmm. Love the movie. It is a great advertisement for Mars. Um, It's always nice to go where they film movies and, you know, see the location. So I'm excited for that. Um, And then, you know, next, um, it's got a little bit of an atmosphere. I I love the atmosphere thing. I think that's, that's a cool thing. Um, and I just like the color red. What, uh, you know, what can I say? Um, you know, so really those are my top three reasons. Now, one of them is scientific. I want that to be clear. And that's the little bit of the atmosphere. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it would have been cool when it was filming if you were on location on Mars with them. Then. And I, oh, yeah. It would have been so have much been full fun. Strings. I have the hat for been, it. <laughs> you do. You do. That would have been that would have been super cool. Uh, what about you, Ben? Mars, what are your favorite aspects? 
Well, like Dan said, the atmosphere is really important and you'd feel at home, you know, you know, especially if you're like in the southwest here and you have the dust storms, they have dust storms on Mars, too. So it would it would just feel so natural to be there. Um, and thankfully, that erosion has made because Mars has had water and has uh, wind and storms, you have a nicer starting point for the the earth, the not dirt there, the regolith there. You know, you're in this situation where it is a little bit more like home as compared to, say, the moon. I say the not dirt is probably a great way to describe it. <laughs> it's definitely <laughs> not dirt. <laughs> yeah, the not dirt. <laughs> have you guys ever been in a in a Arizona sandstorm? I have not, thank goodness. Um, it does not sound fun. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Ben? No? I, I think I, I've been in a Vegas one, so similar. <laughs> similar. I will tell you, I was my mom lives in Arizona, and I was driving back to L.A., and all of a sudden everything just became black on the mm -hmm. highway going 70 miles an hour. <laughs> oh, no. So, <laughs> and you can't see. I mean, it's worse than fog. You can't see yeah. lights in front of you yeah. until you're right on top of somebody. Uh, it was the most terrifying thing I've ever seen in my life. Uh, luckily, we don't have interstates on Mars yet, so not a problem. <laughs> but something to consider. I like what you said there, Ben, because, you know, really what's interesting about Mars to me is that it is very Earth-like. You know, you do mm -hmm. have, you know, you do have canyons. It does look like the Southwest. You know, it's it's mm -hmm. it's like when the when everyone moved out west here in North America and they discovered Arizona, Nevada, the Grand Canyon. It's like that kind of in a way. There, there's a you know a pioneering spirit that I think you could have on Mars that would make it feel a little less like a different planet and more like home. You know, kind of keeping mm -hmm. homesick at bay. I, I don't know. That that's kind of what I think. And and what's interesting about the days. Uh, is that the days which are called souls are roughly 24 hours and change. Mm -hmm. So the, the day is kind of similar. And even the year is only twice as long. So I feel like, I feel like from a calibration standpoint, human beings would have an easier time acclimating to the world that is Mars, in my opinion. Which does raise, though, a technical question, Dan. If I move okay. to Mars, am I suddenly more like 25, 26? Hmm. You mean age-wise? <laughs> yeah, age-wise. Like, you know, I, if the year is like twice as long, don't I get to cut my years in half? <laughs> I, uh, you know? I, I think well, the math works. <laughs> well, I, I think, I think then you have to bring your years over from Earth, but oh, going you forward. get less as you continue. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't yeah. know. That, that makes it a little less appealing, but I, I'll, accept, I'll accept future slowdown. <laughs> yeah, the age you've accrued on Earth stays with you, but future age you accrue comes at a half rate. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm with that. But, I mean, but your I think days are a little longer, so it's all it's all confusing. <laughs> it's, it's super confusing. But I do think, though, you know, joking aside, I do think that it's very important for human beings to feel to have those habits that they had on Earth to be on such an alien planet that at least some things are pretty close to what's mm -hmm. going on, which includes the atmosphere, which is smaller, but at least it's there. And the gravity, which is more than the moon, even though it is still less than Earth. Actually, Dan, mm -hmm. I think the most critical thing there, all kidding aside, really is mm -hmm. the day cycle. I know you mentioned okay, the year yeah. is about twice as long, but having both yeah. lived in a place with and without seasons, I feel yeah. like the year is less critical to us as humans. Um, when I moved yeah. to California, I lost all sense of how many years were going on um, because I learned that our seasons are fire, flood, um, 
and Mudslide, I believe, are are the three seasons. Yeah. <laughs> and and then Fog, I think, is the fourth one. Right. Whereas growing <laughs> up, I actually had winter, summer, spring, and fall. Not in that order. Um, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And but but the days are critical. I mean, I spent a very short time in Alaska when the and it was just weird, you know, it was summertime and that that messing up of the day. I mean, obviously, if you come from one of those places, you're then more used to it. Um, so yeah. maybe that is relevant. But for most of the people on Earth, you're used to that 24 hour day. Um, and so and that's what your circadian rhythms are and, and your body. Yeah. So I think that's a key point there, Dan. I like that one. Yeah, it's really important to remember that our our biology is really based on that 24-ish hour day. Right. And so the adjustment to the Martian day, which is like 24 and 45 minutes or so, if I'm it, it it isn't it isn't a big deal. Um it's only a big deal when you are an, a NASA employee on Earth who has to <laughs> coordinate right. with the Martian day. <laughs> And yeah. then your schedule is shifting by 45 minutes every day, and it's quite, actually quite difficult. <laughs> yeah, that is. It's funny to see like when people try to get the rover that you do have this extra, you know, it's about an hour, like just under an hour that you yeah. that gets shifted. But over the course of two or three weeks, that turns into an extra yeah, 12 hour difference. Yeah. You know, yeah, which is which is which is wonky. And I'm bad enough with time zones just on this planet that don't shift. <laughs> yeah, but you right. only have to drive in rush hour once every couple of weeks. So, you know, <laughs> that, that's fantastic. Yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> what, what's kind of cool about just that whole with 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 Mars in general, what's kind of cool about the time is that, you know, it, it like you said, it, it you are naturally it, it naturally uh, works. And, and I think that mm -hmm. is important. You know, you do have. Um, some other things that are that are kind of critical, uh, which includes, you know, the temperature, right? Like the, the temperature, even on Mars, is similar. It's it's relatively temperate given the vacuum of space, you know, um, <laughs> and the seasons. Oh, one thing I want to mention about the seasons, Denon, which is kind of cool. Is you, you know, you talked about coming from seasons, but even though Mars is this the year's twice as long. So your seasons are going to be twice as long. But I grew mm -hmm. up in Chicago where winter's like eight months. I mean, it felt like Game of Thrones, <laughs> like growing up. Right, yeah. So I think that depending on where you come from, those extra long seasons might be easy to adapt to. But but this temperature is important. You know, whether it's winter, whether it's an extra long winter in Chicago, uh, or it's, you know, the, the, the summer and winter on Mars, it seems like it's pretty temperate. Maybe, you know, pretty close to, to negative 243 at the poles. But it can be like 95 degrees Fahrenheit, you know, uh, on, on the surface at places. It, mm -hmm. You know, it's an interesting thing, Dan, that you mentioned temperature because that's one, you know, we are going to have to build some level of structure um, because, mm -hmm. yes, the atmosphere is there, but it's certainly not breathable and it's certainly not thick enough. Um, mm -hmm. So as important as temperature is, I think it just is going towards making these things easier, right? Mm -hmm. You're probably not going to walk around outside that much in an unpredictable unprotected situation. But I do appreciate your comment that it, I think for temperature for days, it directly affects us. I think a slight variation I'd put on temperature is it makes the building easier, less relevant for us being adjusted. I, I think I would frame hmm. it a little differently um, as okay. I'm framing yeah. my architecture of my building. Okay. Yeah, I mean, the atmosphere in general just helps so much with that construction because you, you know, if you have a leak, you have at least a little bit of pressure keeping your your environment on the inside of your building in. But also it is that temperature. You know, it, it is easier to insulate a building when you have something out there versus nothing like you would on, say, the moon. 
<laughs> right, right. No, no, but that that's important, right? I mean, and and the the you know you mentioned the atmosphere, Ben. The atmosphere is kind of interesting too because it's about a hundred times thinner than Earth, mm-hmm. which yep. which is important to note. And it's mostly made up of carbon dioxide. It's got a very small, less than one tenth of one percent oxygen. Uh, the rest is nitrogen and nitrogen and argon. So you have an atmosphere that, while is present, it does provide some of the things that are similar on Earth, but it, it's not even close to the atmosphere, chemically speaking, uh, mm-hmm. to the Earth. Which you know, which means that you, I don't know, I don't know what that means for utilizing it as a resource. Can we pull carbon dioxide out and make more oxygen? Are there ways to do that? Are there ways to utilize that carbon dioxide for our good, or is it just you know we might as well be putting our heads underwater? I mean, I think that's the beauty of what, you know, when when we talk about Martian terraforming, Mm -hmm. for example, you know, the first thing you start with is plants like in that video game in in Surviving Mars, right? You your robots make plants so that you can turn the atmosphere. And the reality is the right way to do is you build a greenhouse, put a bunch of plants in there, and then they're going to turn that carbon dioxide into oxygen for you. Got it. And eventually you'll have a breathable atmosphere in your greenhouse from that scrubbing, that biological scrubbing. And then you can eat the delicious, you know, peppers or whatever that you grew. Yeah. And I think a lot of this, Dan. Easy peasy. Yeah, easy peasy. It's as simple as Ben described it. But I think a lot of it, what makes it simple is thinking yeah. of a building versus the whole atmosphere. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I do think, yes, it's a lot thinner. But one nice thing is it is all CO2. Right. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. that is sort of a main ingredient to jumpstart with plants. Um, you can you've got the carbon and the oxygen in the CO2. You could maybe do some, you know, chemistry to break it apart and do some other reforming to get other chemicals you need. So you've got a basic organic material that you're starting with because organic in this situation means has carbon in it. Um, not that it was grown organically. Um, right. And so you, you've got a good it, it's one less resource you have to bring with you. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's the other key thing about Mars when we talk about this is we know there's a lot more water there. How accessible is that and how well can you mm-hmm. use it? Because mm-hmm. if you if you really don't have to bring CO2 and water and if you're willing to wait for your plants to make some oxygen, those are big things to not have to bring. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. interesting because when you when you look at Mars, you know, you think of like how even through in Earth Earth's history, there have been times when our planet has been completely covered basically in CO2. There have been these large cataclysmic events that have wiped out all the oxygen. So all the oxygen breathers are gone. Mm-hmm. You know, we might be going through a very similar situation right now. Earth may be very much more close to Mars <laughs> in 10 years uh, than, than we'd like it to be. But it is true. These are still material that we know how to use and biologically it can be used up. So it's not a complete, it'd be different if the atmosphere was completely, you know, sulfuric acid like in on Venus or, you know, whatever inhospitable stuff is is floating around there. So it's different. So it can be used, although it isn't ideal. And and another thing to think about, again, timescale, because humans only like to plan for a few generations after us, um, you know, Mars did have a much thicker and more robust atmosphere. It just slowly evaporated because of gravity and solar winds and relative mm-hmm. conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, so particularly if we're in protected domes, we can generate enough stuff and it's going to hang around for a while, you know, at yeah. least on the scale we usually consider civilization worth planning for. 
Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, that's the thing. You know, it, it's very easy to make. Well, very easy. It's very plausible <laughs> to make <laughs> yeah. atmospheres in domes on Mars that are yeah. totally hospitable to human Earth, Earth, Earthling, Earthling life. You know, you're not going to just bring humans and, and broccoli and peppers. You know, you'll probably bring right. some dogs and cats, too, or something. Sure. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, that's reasonable. But like Dan said, you know, you're never going to be able to terraform, terraform Mars and be able to live outside of the dome for a long time because there's no there's no magnetic field that will keep the atmosphere on Mars forever. It will always get blown away by the sun. And so, you know... That's problem from a long-term possibility, but from a short-term, let's build some domes possibility, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and those domes are, you know, because there's a lot of radiation that's also going to be coming through with the smaller yes. atmosphere. So you do you do need the domes kind of no matter what until you were to really change things. Uh, but let's talk mm -hmm. about some of the cons here. You know, we're making Mars sound like such a great place to live, but there are <laughs> some downsides you know, which which is, you know, not the least of which is that journey. You know, this is I think it's seven months, it's 300 million miles, and that's going about 25,000 miles per hour. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's a journey. You know, this is on, you know, it, it is very similar from, you know, speaking from history. It is there is a parallel between the people who first came over from Europe to North America. You know what what they were the dangers that they could have encountered on the high seas um, you know, the length of time that it took and the knowledge that you're going to Mars, you're going to the new mm -hmm. world, either one, probably forever. You're not coming back. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, it may be possible. But the, so it's, it's a long time, which, you know, besides the delay in communication, which can be eight to 20 minutes, it's just a long trip. So the distance is a big thing to talk about. Yeah, it, it's it's not like, you know. And the other thing to think about is you can't come back soon either. You know, if you mm -hmm. think about the first Europeans that came to the Americas, you know, they could have just gone back on their boat and, and gone back right away. No mm -hmm. problem. Mm -hmm. You know, the boat was still there. The ocean's the same no matter, no matter what. But Mars is only lined up with the way that you can travel from Earth to Mars every two years. You know, mm -hmm. it's all based on those orbits. And right. so yeah. you're, you're stuck you are stuck there for two years um, and you, you cannot come back until that time. So you better be ready for the, a long uh, vacation, <laughs> shall we say. Well, you know, I, I, I have to, I don't know, I, maybe it's just I'm so much older and I lived back in a slower time. I, I sure. found some of this a little interesting and amusing, Dan, as a con, uh -huh. right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, because... Particularly when you say, you know, it could take a whole eight to 20 minutes to communicate. I mean, it used to take me weeks by letter to communicate with my parents when I was in college. Um, right. You know, so, that, you know, eight to 20 minutes, I'd be excited. That was fast. Well, think about, well, think about, yeah, but when you were, you, you wouldn't drive in a car, get a flat tire and then send a letter home asking for somebody to come out to send AAA to come get you. Whereas well, like, was, if you have a, there, there was a, a problem in a ship. where you would, Dan. <laughs> I mean, right. There maybe. was a time in history where you, you, your horse, you know, flew a, sh you know, blew a shoe and there was no cell phones. There was no calling anyone. Right. I mean, sure. so for most of human history, I mean, this is the thing that fascinates me, right? Yeah. What, what. The other way you could turn this around is our technology has made getting to Mars equivalent to exploration during most of human history, right? Mm, yeah. Most okay. of human history, the timescale was months um, to do anything significant. 
I mean, right. Marco Polo didn't just, you know, hop on a jet and get over to China, you know, in six hours, check it out and fly back to Italy and say, look, I discovered spaghetti. Right. It was right. a long trek. <laughs> You know, having to, like how to talk to people, <laughs> right? You know, <laughs> um, I mean, so to Ben's point, I, yeah. I do agree. Like you, you have to have a certain psychology. Um, my only point is, I think it has become a tricky psychology, not because it's inherently challenging, but because we've grown soft. Let's just call it what it is, Dan. Right, wow. human society has, has you know. You know, the thought of, you know, having to sit on an airplane not in first class for 10 hours, right, is annoying. <laughs> and yet people used to cram into a little rickety wooden boat and yeah. spend months on the ocean, right? So yeah. it's it's a real transition. And we talked about it in an episode that people should go watch, how technology changes these things. Evolution mm-hmm. technology. Yeah, I mean, I will say that most people coming over – from the new to the new world were either forced into their small cramped compartments or they were not paying the luxury prices that we do pay, pay on airplanes. So well, a little different <laughs> point point taken, but 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 a little different. But, you know, but when you talk about travel, the other thing you got to think about is that when we go to Mars, we got to bring everything. You know, you got to bring mm-hmm. food, a water reclaimer. If we don't dig, on, you know, there's supposed to be oceans underneath, but we don't have access to them right now. Uh, if they even exist, we don't really know. Um, uh, oxygen, we got a, you know, an oxygen producer. Plus, you know, uh, that that Martian dirt, you know, can we, you know, in the movie, The Martian, which is which is a fantastic movie, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he takes his own human waste to kind of create that soil. So mm-hmm. there's you know, can you produce easily, you know, just by, you know, c- collecting your crap on that seven month trip to, you know, fertilize a, a couple acres on Mars? I don't know. Uh, but it's something to think about, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's a problem there that Martian uh, regolith is toxic. You know, it's full mm-hmm. of perchlorates. It's full of these things that would will kill you if you grow plants in that. I mean, they'll kill the plants. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it's not just as simple as, you know, Using some night soil to, you know, make it more or, or organic. Uh, you you really would need to set up a whole super fun site where you're planning to build your uh, greenhouse if you were going to grow directly in the Martian dirt. I mean, you're probably better off, you know, putting some plastic over all that to keep it out and doing hydroponics. Yeah. Uh, that's probably the better route to take. Got and you know, okay. I think Dan, that really is the key con. Not mm-hmm. not so much the actual distance, but yeah. the supply chain, right? right. Mm-hmm. The stuff you have to go, it, it's the startup cost. You know, we often talk about in science an activation barrier, right? Mm-hmm. I think Mars, all the nice stuff we talked about really exists if you can get over that first hump. Um, mm-hmm. And going back to the early explorers, you know, they're, they're, the other part of our psychology that's changed, and, you know, I was looking at the numbers, you know, take the Oregon Trail and people going west, right? There, there is two things, or, and you could think about the original sort of pilgrims and other people coming. As you said, they tended to be motivated um, either by they thought they'd get rich mm-hmm. or they were fleeing mm-hmm. persecution. Mm-hmm. Um, and, right, I hate to say this, it's going to sound really mean. They were willing to accept a high death rate, right? Yeah, it was definitely. just part of the process, right? And I think that's a, another thing that sort of changed. I would argue for the better. I like a lower death rate, um, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> yeah. But there is a certain um, sort of cavalierness you need to have yeah. for the first set of people going because people will die, 
um, mm-hmm. mistakes will be made. And I don't know if we're prepared to accept that. I mean, well, anyone who's played Oregon Trail, I know Ben's probably in this category. I mean, mm-hmm. dysentery is possible. You, you're, you don't buy enough oxen. You can't hunt for food. So there's, you know, mm-hmm. anyone who's played that video game knows there are risks. So there's, you know, you got to take that into consideration. Yeah, it, it, it's it's a challenge because it's not just it's there's all sorts of things that can go wrong on the on the way to Mars. You know, you have, you know, ship the ship, you know, breaking, you have the radiation causing a problem, which is, again, just the ship breaking. Uh, but also just once you get there, you know, there, there's so many hazards. You know, the atmosphere is not breathable. If you, if you spring a leak, you're you're in deep trouble. If you accidentally breathe in the the Martian dust, you uh, there's a good chance you get poisoned. So th- there's all these issues that you need to deal with that just are, it's just such a less hospitable place than coming to North America where people were already living and doing totally fine. <laughs> That's fair. It's a little more, it's a little more inhospitable than I think we give it credit yeah. for, probably because of the movies, the ones we mentioned earlier. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you also think about nutrition as well, right? I mean, if you can't mm-hmm. grow everything, you can get scurvy pretty easily, you know, and <laughs> mm-hmm. rickets. I mean, there are, there are, it's the same pro- nutritional problems you had coming over on the boats, you know, if you don't have the mm-hmm. right, the yeah. right food. Though, again, yeah. Dan, if people go to an earlier episode of ours, mm-hmm. um, we did learn that you could eat raw seal blubber and solve mm. your scurvy problem. So just put a lot <laughs> that of that in your, put a lot of that in your spaceship. I'm sure it'll smell fine after the journey. Yeah. Well, I think that the trick there is then you got to eat the raw aliens on, oh, okay. on Mars. I think that's yeah. right. <laughs> Alien meat, seal meat, or you could just bring oranges or lemons. It um, really depends on your palate, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, but so let's let's talk about another another heavenly body uh, that's much closer, and that's our little buddy, the Moon. You know, we haven't mm-hmm. we haven't been on the surface of the Moon since 1972, which seems like such a long time. Uh, but mm-hmm. but it's it's absolutely true. But let's talk about you know let's talk about this little guy. We know he's not made of Swiss cheese. We can all agree <laughs> on that part. Uh, mm-hmm. But there have to be other pros, which I would say include that travel time. You know, we just Mars. Mm-hmm. It's you know it's one of those things that probably is gonna make you reconsider going. But here it's a mere three days. You know, you're going significantly. Uh, you know, it's two hundred and forty thousand miles. You're going about. 3,000 miles per hour. So it's a more leisurely, casual, you know, it's like being on a train from, you know, San Francisco to New York. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I think the key to the moon, um, because it's so close, and we haven't yet, but if there was something we found on the moon that was critical to our economy, um, or some use of the moon that was critical to our economy that... Um, way, you know, out, out sort of weighed the cost of getting there. Yeah. I think you would see colonization of the moon or perhaps exploitation of the moon um, very quickly, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's what, to me, that's what history teaches us, right? Is as soon as someone thinks they can make significant money, um, you suddenly have a motivation there. And that's going to be, I think, a little more likely with the moon if there's something mm-hmm. there just because... Right the costs are so much lower. So you don't have to mm-hmm. find something quite so dramatic. Yeah. I mean, the moon is great. You know, as you said, Dan, it's only a couple days away. Mm-hmm. You can come back anytime you want. It's, sure. it's, it's just like coming to North America. The, the boat can always leave the moon because uh, you can always come back to Earth. Yeah. 
uh, from the moon. There, you don't have to wait for the you know solar orbits to sink back up. So it has that great advantage. Um, and, and I think to Denon's point, you know, it, it's what can we discover on the moon that makes it worth going there? You know, maybe there's maybe there's some metals there. You know, let's say we start trying to build really big spaceships or something, mm-hmm. and we find that there's a ton of iron on the moon or something like that. Well, now all of a sudden it makes sense to mine iron on the moon because it's a lot. It could be potentially much less expensive to bring the iron off of the surface of the moon because the gravity is so much lower. Mm-hmm. And now you build your gigantic, you know, star destroyers um, in <laughs> lunar orbit instead of Earth orbit because it takes a lot less fuel to get that steel up. <laughs> I, I hadn't thought about that, but that is definitely a, a, a consideration. I mean, I thought maybe that you could use the moon as like a gas station. But as a, you know, as an industrial plant for Star Destroyers, I mean, that might work as well. I think you could sell that pitch easily to Why any, not both? any budding Darth Vader. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. Definitely, definitely both are true. And you can communicate instantaneously. You know, we mm-hmm. don't have to. It doesn't take eight to 20 minutes to get a message, uh, a Mayday message to 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 Earth, mm-hmm. which is, I think that's a, that's a big plus as well. I know, Denon, you're not so into the instantaneous communication, but I think you can see its advantages. No, I, I can. It does raise an important question, though, um, mm-hmm. in my mind, which is, um, was construction of Star Destroyers um, covered at Space Camp, Ben? Or was oh, that a separate mm. camp? <laughs> uh yeah, that, that was actually just at the Star Wars celebration, you know, the, <laughs> right, okay. the Star Wars convention. That, that's a panel. That's uh, a panel, okay. <laughs> <laughs> not, not a full-on camp. Yeah, no workshop there. Uh, but it is it is important, uh, almost as important as oxygen is for human beings to breathe, I would say. And mm-hmm. here's what's kind of cool is I learned that you can actually extract oxygen on the moon pretty easily. I think it's it's mm-hmm. in the it's in the soil, I believe. So you can you can create lots of oxygen. Uh, I'm guessing at a pretty low cost. Well, I, I think the hardest part is containing your oxygen, Dan. Mm-hmm. And I think while you're thinking about that and contemplating the oxygen, you yeah. know, you could just drink a nice refreshing beverage from your F triple GBT mug. Um, okay. Because mm-hmm. they're very lightweight, they're easy to take to the moon. Um, they're very sturdy. Um, they can easily survive the space journey. Um, I do think the, there is a slight problem for the mug. You know, normally I think the mug has everything. Um, right. In this case, it's much more um, something you're going to use once you get there safely. I suspect my companion in sales, mm-hmm. um, Ben, has the better mm-hmm. solution for the journey. Yeah. <laughs> well. I, I will say the the stainless steel water bottle will keep your water contained on the journey, you know, in your zero G environment. Right. But it's not. Yes. It is also not practical for drinking from. It's only good for storage and transport. Uh, you know, we probably need to make a new line of uh, storage bags. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. essentially water Capri Suns because that's what you need when you're on the trip in the zero G. No, absolutely. And I think, you know, it, it gets a little cold in space. You know, it's roughly, I think, three degrees Kelvin. And what better to warm you up than a wonderful T-shirt uh, that you can find with whatever you want on it, whether it's brains for, for Ben, whether it's hat for Denon, whether it's weird eyebrow thing for, for me. You can find all of this stuff 
on the fgbt.com forward slash merch. Uh, that's where you get it. And I think this stuff is as important as you said, Denon. It's almost as important as oxygen. And the two things that you described, you can fill with water. And I think <laughs> water is the key to the moon. There seems to be quite a lot of, of water potentially on the moon. And this is not only perfect for life, so you can you can grow things in a in a greenhouse without having to send it up or be you know create expensive equipment to to generate this water. But also you can split the hydrogen and oxygen into rocket fuel, uh, so you can do quite a bit with water if it is that readily available. You know uh, we mentioned. You know, we mentioned the the Earth itself, which I think is very toxic. Uh, ben, you can probably talk a little bit more about that. But the upside here is that there's plenty of water, plenty of oxygen. The moon has a lot of upside here. Well, yeah. I, I don't know about a lot of upside, Dan. <laughs> but you don't think but so? I like how you're selling it. I um, I have you. Do you have any bridges for sale along with the moon? <laughs> uh, you know what's funny? There's a. I know what you're getting at. There's this great bridge out here in California, which is in the middle of nowhere. It just covers a a, a canyon, and there's no train tracks going on either side. Uh, I think that's the kind of bridge you think I'm selling. But yes, I will tell I you, it is. it is a great tourist destination. So it's not all bad. Well, well, first, of course, you know, I do have a bridge, you know, it goes over the craters on the moon. So, you know, if you want any of those, uh, 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 you know, hit, hit, you know, leave a comment below and we'll, we'll, we'll make a deal. Make it happen. Uh, but yeah, the, the, the earth, the earth on the earth on the moon, mm -hmm. the, the regolith on the moon, the, yeah. the, the, the dust, the, the dirt that's there. It's not dirt. It's not organic like it is on earth. It's this really awful stuff. Unfortunately, it's because there's no atmosphere on the moon, there's no erosion. The, the dust just sits there, and all it is is exploded comet bits that have settled onto the moon, essentially. Comet and asteroid bits. So it's this really sharp, abrasive stuff, and it's also very small. So it's almost like an asbestos, if you want to think about it that way, where if you really breathe this stuff in, you can shred your cells, you can really damage My yourself. God. So it, it, it it's, again, this kind of situation where... You maybe build a dome and then blow some air in and maybe make a storm so the stuff, you know, pulverizes and softens out for a while before you go in there or um, or you just seal it all away and, you know, bring in your own dirt. Because <laughs> the reality is the dirt on the moon is not very nice. <laughs> well, you, the, thing I, the thing I like most about your, your conversation there, Ben, besides the safety warning, yeah. um, which is probably number one, mm -hmm. is, you know, how messed up we are as scientists that we, we keep coming up with names that are very specific to things. So we can't talk about the dirt on the moon because it's not actually dirt, but then we can't use any other word because that's the only word we're used to using. But mm -hmm. other than that, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, it, this has inspired me a bit, and I'm curious where you two land on this. We've done many episodes, I say many, um, um, I don't know how many, where we talk about either living underwater or actually under the surface of the earth. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the subterranean mm -hmm. cities in various ways. And mm -hmm. as, as we have this conversation and as we get, you know, the dirt on Mars is dangerous. The dirt on the moon is going to slice you up and kill you. I'm wondering if we're thinking about this wrong. And what you really want to do is the bulk of your living quarters and living situations should be underground. We've mm -hmm. solved a lot of the underground stuff. Underground, you can seal things off better. Um, you do need some channels to the surface, um, mm -hmm. but maybe particularly on the moon where there's no atmosphere anyway, like why build a dome? 
You know, so that's kind of the question I pose to, to, to the two of you at this moment. I'm so glad you brought that up, Denon, because it, it's more than just, you know, it's easier to seal. It's it's you know, you're not dealing with the dust. I mean, you will during construction, but, you know, mm-hmm. f- that's f- the robots. That. Yeah. yeah, that's the robots problem. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the other th- really important thing to think about is the radiation. And this is a problem on both Mars and the moon in that neither of those neither of them have a magnetic field like we have on the Earth that protects us from the dangerous radiation brought from the sun and from and from cosmic rays and all sorts of stuff. So but if you go underground, ground is really great at blocking radiation. (laughs) And so building underground is probably the only realistic way to protect ourselves from getting you know moon cancer unfortunately <laughs> well and it's why you can see I, that's why i i broadcast out of a bunker you know what better way yeah. to protect myself uh, from those unnecessary radiation from the inevitable apocalypse uh, that's my planning mm-hmm. but also the temperature you know on the mm-hmm. on the moon temperature wild swings you know, negative 387 yes. Fahrenheit to 153 degrees Fahrenheit, that kind of swing in a single day. You know, it's negative mm-hmm. 32 at the Fahrenheit at the poles. It gets pretty cold, uh, or at least mm-hmm. at least it's wild swings. And I think yeah. if you're underground, you can at least create an environment that's not going to be affected as as crazily by all of the factors, uh, the temperature factors on the surface. I mean, exactly. Dirt is great insulation from everything, not just, you know, radiation, but temperature as well. And and it's also important to think about that the moon is vacuum. So temperature is also just a bizarre thing to think about there because you don't have air around you. That's a temperature Mm -hmm. that temperature is like the surface temperature, but you don't really absorb heat that way. You don't feel heat that way. Um, And so how you how that even would really work is its own thing because you don't necessarily feel cold in space because you can't you can't really radiate the heat away from you um, in a meaningful way because there isn't a medium to radiate the heat to. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, temperature becomes a very strange thing. Uh, which is something to consider, which, you know, it also makes you think about gravity is kind of a strange thing as well, because, you know, it's a six of the gravity, uh, you know, Earth's gravity on the moon, roughly you're, you know, to about a sixth. And mm-hmm. that is just enough to be weird. And also, <laughs> uh, but but it's still there. You're not floating. But I think that that would be very difficult to get used to. So this is, I can't tell if this is a pro or a con. Um, so I'm curious what you guys think. Well, it's clearly, um, in my mind, it's clearly a pro, Dan. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was going to list the lower gravity for Mars, but I realized it's even better on the moon because I'm just going to tell you, and we have evidence of this, my golf game is going to get a way lot, way lot better. Is that a phrase? That's right. My golf game is going to really improve as as mm-hmm. my length of my drives just you know become unbelievable. now it does mean of course my slices will go farther as well yes. so yes. you know <laughs> so accuracy becomes important um, it is challenging because most golf balls are designed to work in an atmosphere um, so I might have to re-engineer my golf balls for vacuum um, but there's also no air resistance so um, no air resistance and and, and a much lighter gravity I, I'm liking so I, I'm I'm putting it in the pro column. Okay, but but no air means no off spin causes the slicer. The right, exactly. So, so so Ben's it's helping. It's always going to go straight. 
Yeah. You just got to get good at hitting straight you and you're, you're going to do great on the moon. <laughs> you got to hit it you got to hit it flush, that's it. Yeah. Because if you don't, it's going to it's going to go for a while. You know, I don't know. I think there I think the 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 gravity would be kind of fun at first, but I think it would get kind of annoying because you can't really run. You're just kind of slowly <laughs> hopping around and you're like a yeah. slow motion bunny, which I don't know that I would like very much. So I'm going to put it in the in the con column until we get artificial well, I, gravity for me. Well, no, that's why you get the cool rover so you can dune buggy um, around the moon. Now that's cool. <laughs> I like that. that. That's cool. Now that feels, you know, that feels like you're going on a vacation, which which we yeah. got to get to, you know, let's get to the let's get to the question here, guys. You know, we we've kind of summed up Mars, the moon, pros and cons, but I got two questions for you and they're very very different and you might have different answers. But what is the better vacation spot and where's the better place mm. to build a colony? Short term, long term. They could be the same answer. It could be different answers. Uh, Denon, I'm going to go with you first. Well, I really think for me it's quite simple. I'm going to colonize Mars and I'm going to vacation on the moon. Partly mm. for the, uh, the comment Ben made, right? I don't really want a two-year vacation. I'm not very good at that. Mm. I can't mm. relax for that long. Um, so as much as I, I laughed at the concern over time, mm-hmm. um, I'm not too concerned about the time except when it's my vacation. Right. Um, so, <laughs> so the, and also the, one of the main things I do on vacation is play golf. Um, and so, you know, the moon we've already established is great for golf. Um, when I'm not on vacation, I like to relax with archery, which does require some atmosphere. Probably have to redesign <laughs> the arrows for the thinner atmosphere on Mars. Yeah. Um, but that's a hobby during while I'm colonizing, not while I'm vacationing. Right. So for me, it's very simple. Mars is where I'm going to colonize. Moon is where I'm going to vacation. All right, so before you answer, Ben, I got a question for you, Denon. I know your weakness for timeshares. What if someone offered you a timeshare on Mars? Would you vacation there then? Oh, no, not at all. I mean, that, I mean, look, as I've said, I have a weakness for timeshares, but I know exactly what they lie to me about. And the Mars timeshare is going to be even worse. Like, I yeah. made a conscious decision to take the bad deal part to get yeah. the part I want. And yeah. yeah, no, Mars is off the table. All right. All right. Fair yeah. enough. It's pretty weird to think about how Martian timeshare would work because you'd have to buy it in two and a half year increments. Uh. <laughs> it would get very strange. What about you, Ben? I'm not going to very sell, strange. I'm not going to sell you a Mars timeshare. But what do you do? Where are you vacationing? Where are you building a colony? I mean, I think Denon has it right. It, it's not realistic to vacation on Mars because you got you got to stay there for two years. I mean, I guess you could have a two year vacation, but it's that's really more of a that's more of a sabbatical, if anything. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it, it's not it's not a place where you can just on a whim visit for a couple of weeks like that. It's that's never happened. That's not physically possible. And so Mars has to be you have to take a permanent approach to Mars because fundamentally it is a permanent thing when you're going there or at least a long term thing. Whereas the moon. Yeah, you could you could theoretically have a weekend on the moon. I mean, you spend a week total because it takes like almost a week to get there and get back. So maybe maybe you know you do a two or three you know two or three week cruise, but it's still a reasonable vacation destination as compared to Mars. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that that's right. You know, when I think about it, I don't want to say that moon, the moon is the catch all for both, but I think having the Earth right there where you can just look out and see where you came from, I think that that's mm-hmm. much better for the human psyche. 
I think you can both mm-hmm. colonize and vacation on the moon. I mean, look at Mexico, yes. right? People live in Mexico and they do their, you know, they do their regular things. And then there's tons of vacation spots you can also go to. So, that you know, yes. there, there are they've kind of mastered it because it's 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 right at the equator. You know, there, there's there's places to go, places to work. I think the moon might be perfect unless, you know, you really want to get away from it all. But Mars is a real commitment. A, a, a real yeah. commitment. Um, no, it, it it is. It, it's 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 a trek, as they say. Yeah, yeah. it is. It is. So I, I guess ultimately, if I'm answering my own question, that is the place to build a colony. But I think we should hold off. I I I like the moon. I don't think the moon gets enough credit, and I'd like to see us do a little bit more. You know, try to make it work with the moon before we go looking at another planet to to, to go wander <laughs> off to. That's that's my suggestion. Yeah, I mean, th- there's a reason we haven't really sent people to Mars yet. There's a lot of reasons, of course, but yeah. one of the big ones is it's just the practicalities are so much more complicated when you have to plan for a two, three year trip versus the moon, which you can do on really any week or so long time scale. Right. A long weekend. It's three days. You know, you yeah. got you got Monday <laughs> off. It's you know, it's Veterans Day. Go visit, you know, go visit, go the, visit moon. the moon and, and look at all yeah. the, the great wonders that those veterans have given the freedoms that they've given you on Earth. You can view it all at once. I mean, how, how right, great exactly. is that? I mean, it sounds like a perfect vacation to me. Uh, but, you know, this is, you know, we may not have covered it all. Uh, let's get our airs, additions, and omissions section here. You know, things we wanted to talk about, but we didn't quite get to. Uh, Denon, is there anything about the Mars or the moon that we didn't quite get to? Yeah, I, I think it just raises a question for me that I've always had about California. You know, if anyone in California has driven up the sort of eastern Sierras to get to Lake Tahoe, there's a few, like, um, very sort of um, older, like, um, cities, towns kind of run down at the base of the mountains there. And it just makes me wonder if people are like, if grandma and grandpa or great grandma and grandpa, you know, if our ancestors just were willing to go up the mountain that last bit, we'd have, you know, lakeside property right now. And instead, our properties <laughs> down here. I yeah. feel like the equivalent is the asteroid belt. Like mm-hmm. if we actually get serious about Mars, you're going to have a bunch of people who get to the asteroid belt and say, I'm tired. I'm done. Yeah. You know, find a big asteroid and make a home. And when Mars is successful, their ancestors will be like, you know, why didn't people just go to Mars where the money is, right? So yeah. so I feel like the asteroid belt will be kind of that that equivalent in the future. You know, that kind of stopping zone where you get tired and you're just like, I'm not going any farther. That's interesting. It's like an inter, it's like an interplanetary rest stop. Or you can yeah. think of each, each asteroid like having your own island. Right. Yeah, I mean, exactly. so yeah. I think there's pros and cons. I don't think I think people who stop at the asteroid belt maybe in in 10, 15 years may look like the geniuses instead of going to <laughs> going to Mars. Who knows? Uh, what about you, Ben? Anything we miss you wanted to talk about? Well, you know, I, I think it's funny that Dan talked about the seasons in his part of Southern California, whereas, you know, I'm thinking about mine uh, in inland L.A. where we have summer and less hot summer. Uh <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's true. I mean, so you might be perfectly suited for the moon, Ben. I mean, you know, you're used to it is what I'm saying. Exactly. Uh, So my error, my error, I don't know if I mentioned this, but you kind of alluded to it, Ben. Uh, But you got me hooked on this on this sim game called Surviving Mars, which I recommend if anyone watching really wants to live on the on Mars Check out this game and see the hard work that these robots have to do to get just to get the world ready for human habitation. Um, it's a lot to put on them. It's a lot of work, and keeping everyone alive can be quite a hassle. Uh, so <laughs> think about that because once you commit to Mars, that's it. 
you're staying on Mars. Uh, but, you know, this may be, you may have your own opinions. Uh, we want to hear them. So if you want to get in touch with the show, you can find us on social media, uh, Twitter at FGGGBTPod or on Facebook at FGGGBT. But of course, you can get in touch with us individually. Denon, where can people find you? Well, for the most part, you just flip my name and it's at Dead and Michael and that gets you Twitter, um, Instagram, LinkedIn. But if you're if you're old fashioned and you're doing Facebook and, you know, you're looking for those longer communication timelines, mm-hmm. um, you have to put the prof in front of it at prof Den and Michael. Ben, where can people find you? You can find me on all the major social media networks at B Seepser. How do you spell that? You spell that B-S-I-E-P-S-E-R. I'm so glad you remember that after all these years, Ben. I'm very, very impressed with you. Uh, and you can find me on social media uh, at Daniel J. Glenn on Twitter, at the Daniel J. Glenn on Instagram, at Analytical Mastermind on Facebook. And of course, you can send a question to the show. Uh, we like email. It's instantaneous now. And it's questions at FGGBT.com. And if you're listening on your favorite podcast channel, whether it's eight hours delayed or instantaneous, uh, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe. If you're watching us on YouTube, hit the like button, subscribe, and ring that bell so you never miss an episode. And finally, this show contains powerful information that could be misused by those hell-bent on world domination. It is your duty to take what we say and do good with it. Remember, no matter the situation, you always want to be a superhero, never a supervillain. So until next time... Thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, of course, if you're listening to this episode and you've gotten this far, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? We're on all the major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. But if you're not already subscribed to those platforms, I made it easy for you. Go to our website, fgbt.com. You'll find links to those subscribe buttons and also links to our social media, both for the show and for our individual experts, the members of the Brain Trust. That's all right there fgbt.com and before you leave don't forget to check out our other episodes you can find the link at the top of the page for everything we've got and you'll notice that we've got both a youtube version and an audio only version depending on what you like we got it for you and if you do like those videos you can go ahead and subscribe to those as well we're on youtube.com backslash daniel j glenn and once again if you like this show you're gonna like everything that i do go to danieljglenn.com to find out more thank you for listening